0: Hello again, friends. Your fearless leader, Ed Harold, with you. Welcome to another great podcast and our Life with Breath expert series. Hello again, world. Today I'm joined by two breath experts to expand our awareness about the amazing power that we have to control our inner physiology, to amplify our inner perceptions, visualizations, and psychology. Before I introduce these two massive young men that have done so much with their short life, let's just begin with a moment or two just to get ourselves centered, relax, push away man-made time. And absorb all this information that we're going to receive from these gentlemen. So, if we could just close our eyes for a moment, plant your feet firmly down into the earth as if you're going to stand up, and you'll notice your spine will become erect. Release and relax your eyes and jaw of any excessive tension. Drop your shoulders away from your ears and bring your attention to the base of your nostrils. And you'll begin to notice on the inhale, this amazing wind energy moving in through the brain and down into the body. And on the exhale, you'll feel this warm, humidified, exchanged air moving out across your upper lip. And just begin to allow the breath to slow down to the pace of a tortoise. And imagine there's powdered sugar on your upper lip and you don't want to disturb it. That's how smooth we want this inhale and exhale to facilitate the next few moments of our life. slowing down that inhale and stabilizing the spine and the mind, lengthening the exhale so that it's longer than the inhale without straining. Begin to train the brain that this is how I prefer to breathe even when I'm not controlling my respiration. And for the last minute, if you wish, when the inhale is complete, retend the breath inward for a four count. When the exhale is complete, externally hold the breath out for a two count. If you want a little more, when you're holding the breath in, lift the abdominal diaphragm up to where it normally rests on the exhale. Lift the ribs away from the hips. And when you're holding the breath out, push the diaphragm down towards your navel where it normally rests organically after your inhale. And see if, that, if something starts to happen. beautiful everyone let your breath find its own way back you can open your eyes when you feel ready and we're gonna learn a lot this afternoon ladies and gentlemen so we have a dynamic team with us this afternoon first I want to introduce David Bidler and David's a speaker author, and a leader in professional development. David is the CEO of Breathe to Perform, which shares the science of stress management and peak performance with industry leaders and their teams. David proudly serves as the president of a nonprofit organization, Physiology First, and presents material from the Breathe to Perform professional development series, to students in the United States. David owns the Distance Project, a strength and conditioning in Fremont, Maine, Freeport, Maine, and is an avid endurance athlete and ultra marathon competitor, and we love that. Welcome, David.
1: Thank you so much for the intro, Ed. Thank you for And we we'll are also
0: time. grace today with the amazing Dr. Jose Herrero, born in Spain, Dr. Herrero studied physiology as an undergraduate. He then moved to the UK to obtain his doctorate in monkey electrophysiology, focusing on the processes related to attention and memory, as well as neuromodulation. In April, 2012, Dr. Herrero moved to New York City to attend Columbia University, where he studied layer dependent attention effects. Awesome. In April 2015, he moved to the Feinstein Institute to work with epileptic patients implanted with intracranial electrodes on processes related to breathing control, meditation, and neurostimulation. Well done. Welcome Jose. Thank you so much.
2: It's to be here.
0: Well, I'm totally floored by your bios, you guys. You guys are young men. You're way ahead of the curve to where people your age, 25, 30 years ago, were looking into the brain, looking into physiology, looking into the body, and utilizing breath, breath-based breath protocols to try to achieve more dynamic outcomes, whether they're in peak performance, a medical model, or in corporate or industry. So as we dive into this, David, What's been the biggest new thing that's occurring to you at Breed to Perform?
1: Wow, that's a big question, Ed. So first off, thank you so much for having us on. We've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time. Biggest new thing, you know, I, I think the biggest new thing is that we have this powerful tool. We have a powerful tool to control our nervous system, to control our state, and our job is to find a narrative to take that out of sort of the bubbles in the echo chambers, because we're seeing a year that has separated people more than ever. People are isolated. People could definitely use tools in the toolbox right now. And I think the biggest new thing is that if we can find the narratives to scale this message to people who have no idea of the power of their own breathing, we have the chance to scale a power tool at a critical time. So that's the biggest new thing is working to find the narrative in the story that scales and gets this tool uh, that people already have, gives them a little bit more you know, access to it.
0: Yeah, I've been in this game for a long time, and it's still almost, in my mind, it's still almost like the first inning of the game. You absolutely. know, we're still, 99% of the people have no idea what we're talking about. It's amazing. And we've already reached exponentially so many more people with folks like yourself, James Nestor, Wim Hof, all these other, absolutely you know, quote, celebrities out there who are using breath. But You know, we're all part of this same message that we have a lot more control over our physiology and psychology when we have some breath tools in our suitcase than those who don't.
1: Well, Ed, one, one of the things I would touch on there is that, you know, to your point, it, it, awareness of our internal state is this 21st century power tool, interception, which Jose focuses on, I'm sure is gonna talk about, is a 21st century power tool but you would have to have experience that to even know what the heck we're talking about. That's, that's the rub, right? That's the challenge is that people don't walk around and think, gosh, if only I had more internal state awareness, if only I could, you know, optimize my neurophysiology, people think I'm anxious. I feel stressed. I want to feel better. And so breathing is a skill that you can immediately feel the benefits of in a world of noise and, and a lot of information. And that I think is what makes it such a powerful tool because once you feel that ability to control your state, now, now, now you know what we're talking about, and you, and you did that expertly with the beginning of the show. So I thought that was amazing. Well, thank you.
0: You know, and, and the people who I work with, you know, everybody wants drive-up enlightenment. You know, everybody wants it right away. And guess what? You can not achieve it faster without breath control. It's the number one shortcut without losing the quality of mm-hmm. getting the information faster. In man-made time. So it, it's really, you know, what it really is almost one size fits all. Even though we're all different, we all look different. We have different perceptions and values. But it is such an amazing tool. And it never it it's never let me down once. That's- and that's that says a lot in this day and age in 2021 with the COVID separation and all the insecurities and uncertainties around fear and what's gonna happen to me. and You know, it's a place to go and and just always explore this inner strength. Now, I have this amazing Dr. Herrera with me. And, you know, I don't know where to go with you first because there's so much there. How can we how can we start this hour, Dr. Herrera? Where where would you like to begin with our audience? Yeah, so
2: I'd like to begin by um, highlighting the the. Good luck that I have to meet uh, David Bidler because uh, m- most of my work is in research, but since meeting uh, David in t- already back in 2018, and I could see how the research can be directly applied and uh, to people. And um, looking at Dave's work, seeing how he reached out to youngsters you know how in his gym you can see the combination between high performance and respiratory exercises it made me think in different ways about how i plan my experiments um, with um, epileptic patients you know and the the interesting thing of um, of my research is that uh, i have the the opportunity to take a, a look inside the brain because uh, I work at the neurosurgery department, at the Feinstein Institute for Medical Research. And uh, the the neurosurgeon, who is my supervisor, implants electrodes in in these epilepsy patients' brains to try to find the focus of epilepsy. And they they lie in in a bed for a week. And during that time, I had the the chance to teach them to do some uh, breathing exercises. And Dave has been over a couple of times you know, to, to basically, to make these breathing exercises even better. And that has been uh, very exciting. And uh, to see the patients have, because, you know, they go to the to the hospital to remove a part of the brain, the part of the brain that is responsible for scissors. And uh, it's very, they are very stressed. And it's, you can imagine it's a very stressful time. But uh, given them the, the control of, uh, of, of the breathing, you know that's the one of the only things that can control in the hospital their breathing, and um, it's been b- very um, exciting to not only measure the breathing and what the breathing does inside the brain, but also to see the behavioral effects in in these patients. And um, yeah, so I think to take out in what you said, um, Ed is about you know like. Uh, Looking into uh, neural control of breathing versus uh, breathing awareness by itself, and I think uh, those are um, both of them are very interesting tools. You know, be- because uh, I mean, bre- breath control can boost uh, breath awareness. You know, and the other way around. And in many many cases, I have seen that uh, breath awareness is not possible, and then breathing control comes. About as a really excellent tool, and um, I, I think uh, that was a start of uh, that was uh, of any use.
0: How did how did you get drawn into the breath being the, the the fulcrum for the work that you're doing?
2: Yeah, so that's a good question. In the beginning, I was very interested in attention. You know, and uh, when you study attention in neuroscience, you study attention to the outside world. What your brain does when you pay attention to, uh, to a visual stimuli or to an auditory stimuli. Or, for example, in the cocktail party, you know, when you are having different people talking at the same time, you focus on one person and all of this, all the background noise. Yeah. Huh? Uh, it seems no. my connection is not really great. I'm going to move somewhere else. All right. Oh, it's all good. let see if it's better here. Yeah, so, you know, it was how people pay attention to the outside world. And then, you know, I look at the, the there were some obvious changes in the brain. You know, for example, if you are looking at the, you are focusing in somebody talking, you would, Find responses in the auditory cortex to be enhanced, you know. But then I, I thought about how beautiful it would be to pay attention to the inside of your body and to look at the, what the brain is doing, you know. And um, I start like because my background, I, I have experience with meditation. I start to to look into the neural changes when uh, patients are doing very basic like breath counting exercises or or for example, like a, the deepest low breathing exercises. So um, that's how I got interested. So basically from switching attention from the outside world to switching attention to the inner body.
0: That's beautiful because it really is a lost art form today. Uh, you know, focusing our attention with a relaxed awareness. It seems to be something that's a lost art to most folks. And it seems like we have a hard time balancing ourselves when there's the appearance of stress or negative stress uh, on the brain distracting us from what our original goal might be. Now, David, when when you're talking when we're talking about breathing, can you give us some insight about what's working for you? in regard to the diaphragm muscle, that primary muscle of inhale and posture in the spine. Can can you share some wisdom with us about what you're doing with the diaphragm muscle for folks?
1: You know, to, to to even begin that, I would say that what we work to do with Breathe to Perform is to really, really, really simplify things and then to let people know that they can expand that conversation. Afterwards. So what, when we do um, when we, we work on our seminars, I think that if people can understand how breathing impacts the nervous system, I'm just going to send a quick note in the chat just so people can up. There we go. So when we think about the things that we want people to understand, it seems like there's this this, um, journey of learning that looks something like this for most people. Most people are told that they're chest breathing and that they're chest breathers, and that they should breathe with their belly. And their awareness goes towards different techniques to um, bring attention to diaphragmatic breathing. And they stop breathing into their chest completely. And you run into this issue where we've lost the ability to expand in critical areas. And you've gotten someone from almost one dysfunctional pattern to the next dysfunctional pattern. And if we look at stages of respiration, not just as inhales and exhales of oxygen and carbon dioxide, but looking at actual um, representations of the axial skeleton. Inhalation is, is, is a representation of the skeleton. Exhalation is a representation of the skeleton. And what we can do in the athletic world really easily is look at what stage someone's biased towards maybe being stuck in. And this informs everything about the breathing exercises that we might use about the exercise programming that we might use. And the reason that we always start on the opposite side of that spectrum is that makes breathing sound really complicated. It's like, wait, my ribs are gonna determine what exercise I use. This is getting um, something maybe that I would need more coaching or to work with a one-on-one trainer. And that's an amazing thing to be able to do. But to just get people to recognize that using breathing exercises to leverage your internal state is one thing, but clearing up underlying persistent breathing dysfunction is another. And when we get direct messages from people, from companies, from teams, from schools, the number one thing that we hear is, I've just been breathing through my nose since your seminar, and I feel awesome. <clears throat> and then somebody might say, you "No, know, the more you know, the more interception somebody has, now they might say, well, I'm also changing my exercise selection and programming. I'm also doing things to build my carbon dioxide tolerance. But when we think about the powerful message that can scale, I think if one thing comes out of all this work, if people understand that their ability to simply close their mouth, breathe through their nose and have that make a a long term change in their base level state, Mm -hmm. then from that simple platform, they can say, well, wait a minute. Now, how do I optimize this? And then you get into different breathing strategies for different archetypes of the ribs. You get into the relationship between the pelvic and thoracic diaphragm. You get into these um, these more complex issues around the way that the skeleton is actually shaped by respiration. Mm-hmm. So what I always say to people is start by simply cleaning up basic dysfunction throughout the day. Then tap into some of the benefits of increased interoception and self-awareness. Get to know your body a little more through that. Mm-hmm. And then if you have the ability and you have the desire to go deeper, you can really dive into how breathing influences our entire skeletal architecture. And then you can dive into Jose's work in neurology. So it becomes a beautiful rabbit hole. And our goal is always to keep it real simple, foundational and say, look, why don't we just close our mouths and eliminate a consistent ongoing dysfunction and then explore from there different breathing strategies for the shape that we're in, because we kind of breathe ourselves into the shape that we're in both, both mentally and physically.
0: Wow, that is just so well said. And, you know, you don't hear a lot of folks talking about uh, breathing and the bones and structural alignment in the bones, posture, plays a huge role in neurochemistry, plays a huge role in patterns of movement. And just restructuring the relationship that the pelvic floor and the thoracic diaphragm have, it it just brings the spine into such a position that muscles that normally would need to contribute to hold you erect yes. can relax and, and turn people, off.
1: When you think about giving people something that they can feel, this is the difference between if we're presenting to an entire company, organization, or a school, getting them to practice some simple breathing exercises because they're probably seated. Maybe it's a not a time that we can get everybody out on the floor. It gives them something that they can feel and understand. But when you get somebody in an actual uh, training environment, and you can give them a breathing exercise and they can say, wow, I feel like a 400-pound safe has just been lifted off my sacrum. Mm-hmm. And that constant compression in my low back is suddenly gone. thats It's incredible. It's simple. It's powerful. And it may save them a lot of medical bills down the line. So it really is this powerful tool for both uh, mental optimization and then just, again, thinking about expansion and compression. Most of us need a little more compression where we're expanded and vice versa.
0: You know, and one thing we can say to folks is, is, you know, at the baseline area, you're not learning anything new. We're just asking you to remember how you were breathing as a young child before your ego developed. So you're not learning anything new at the baseline level. You're just remembering how you were breathing when you were born.
1: It's already uh, inside us. One of the things that would uh, benefit for us um, is my my partner Lex and I, we often give these seminars together. And when you look at the difference in her rib cage and my rib cage, it makes a really good visual presentation for how we're biased to breathe what exercise selection may be best for us, how we can Mm -hmm. increase things like joint range of motion, get out of compression and pain. And to Jose's work, when you can give that to somebody in a hospital, when you can give that to someone in a school or a workplace, that's incredible because that's going to change how they're sitting and how they're experiencing their day and how they're breathing. That's going to change their mental and physical state. But now you take somebody who's in a hospital, having the honor of working with Jose and his incredible work at the hospital. You have folks who are in a bed, and there are a few power tools that you're going to be able to own in that vulnerable position. And now you've given them a tool for both physical and mental um, agency.
0: Yeah, I, I think that you know breath control protocols should be pre and post op in the hospital immediately uh, for all the patients, so that their, their 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 care, the whatever the surgery is, is not as debilitating. You're prepared for the for the work, and you can bounce back faster as soon as you open your eyes after the surgery. Jose, you're doing some research uh, in regard to breathing in the brain. How's that going for you, buddy?
2: Yeah, so, you know, like we found these um, ongoing oscillations in widespread areas of the, of the brain, like cortical and subcortical, that seem, that seem to track the breathing. And um, this um, has been, uh, was already shown for animals, that was the case, but uh, you know, like uh, a few years ago we saw it in humans as well, and um, these oscillations can, so basically the brain is oscillating, you know, up and down states, and then they can be synchronized with the breathing, particularly when you pay attention to the breathing. In a specific areas of the brain, like the anterior cingulate cortex, the anterior insula, the motor cortex, you know. And um, so, one interesting thing for me now and Dave is that the, the field of interoception. So, for example, you know, they talk about adjustments in the hips and uh, in the back to ma- maximize uh, breathing performance. And um, what is amazing to me is how many times we lost we lost the, the proper positioning of our body to breathe properly and then we are not aware of it until minutes after somebody maybe taps us in the back and makes us realize that we were already in crutch you know and um, this is kind of what uh, is very interesting to me how uh, this um, like uh, muscle and, and um, skeleton uh, uh, adjustments they are not aware to us until we are, you know, uh, told of. And basically, how with training, with the respiratory muscle training, uh, particularly maybe inspiratory muscle training, we can, uh, be, you know, make make be aware again of um, how is the proper breathing, you know. And um, and um, and I think like Dave has maybe the bottom-up approach you know, by training the physiology and the respiratory exercises. And um, I'm studying the top-down approach, where basically we are uh, having patients um, doing the respiratory muscle training while we uh, stimulate the brain. And uh, the idea is that the brain stimulation will enhance the effects of respiratory muscle training. This um, is a proposal that we have in the pipeline. You know, it's still cooking, but uh, this is the underlying idea. And I think um, it would be very powerful for many, many patients. For example, when you talk about um, COVID patients, where uh, many of them, they reach out to the hospital already very late with advanced state of pneumonia. Uh, That happens because they lost um, the sensitivity to detect CO2 levels rising in the brain. So basically, they lost the interoception to, to detect CO2 levels rising, you know, as a consequence of, a, of an infected airways. And by the time they reach the hospital, of course, they, they already are in full pneumonia. And um, the idea would be to enhance interoception of, uh, you know, skeletal muscles, CO2 levels arising for people that has, for example, blunted uh, dysnea, you know, like uh, um, for example, uh, reduce uh, bre- reduce breathlessness awareness, you know, and that's kind of like um, one topic that uh, for me is very exciting at the moment. Mm,
0: it's beautiful. Can you can you speak a little bit about how breathing rates per minute affect neural activity? how many breaths we take per minute how does that in other words less breaths per minute how's the, re, the brain respond to that or more shallow breaths per minute how does the brain respond to that type of breathing
2: yeah so for example if you start hyperventilating you see like neural oscillations in the premotor and motor cortex like follow rapidly following the respiration cycle you know and and they they like if you try to modulate your respiration, this uh, like for example, you start to breathe slower. These oscillations start to go slower. You start to go fast; they go to go fast. And then you have also oscillations in areas like the olfactory bulb. You know that is the first input from from the from the room into the brain, and and orbit, or orbito frontal cortex areas that are also tracking the breathing very closely. You know, for example, when you take a sniff, and then. Um, you know the 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 thing is when you start to breathe very 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 slow you know then your neural oscillations start to adjust as well so you kind of reduce a neural um, excitability in this way and um you know for example like uh, mice you know we know they they breathe like three three times per second you know like humans we breathe like uh, like one time every six seconds you know so um you know, the, um, I think this is, this is a, in a way like Dave likes to talk about. The control remote to the brain is uh, breathing. And I, I support that from a neural perspective.
0: So would it be safe for me to say that less breaths per minute in and out through the nose is a way to stall aging and senior diseases
2: of the brain? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm kind of like uh, researching brain excitability, you know, and uh, still there is a lot of research to be done for aging, you know, and neural plasticity, you know, but, um, you know, I don't know. I think uh, the, these days, anxiety is a tool that makes us age very fast without, without us realizing. And, um, and, and, you know, deep, slow breathing or, you know, going through your day with the less amount of breath that you can, you know, it would be a good strategy to just reduce anxiety and in turn, you know, have the cascade of beneficial effects.
0: Well, I think people don't understand how the brain responds to injury or trauma different than our soft tissue or our muscles if they become injured or we break a bone. And the brain is such an an amazing organ. You know, the, to me, beginning, there is no other health, first and foremost, other than mental health. And, and being a good steward to our mind, to our thoughts, to our awareness, and, you know, being aware of that naysayer in the brain and having tools on board where we can, you know, learn from that and then transform that negativity. But I think, you know... we. A lot of the the folks I work with, whether it be in the fitness world or the uh, corporate world, you know, it's all about what I look like in the mirror. You know, that's great. But at the end of the day, let's take a look at how breathing interacts with the brain so that we can take care of this brain like the beautiful jewel that it is.
1: That, that's such a big part of our work right now with uh, with young people at Physiology First at our nonprofit organization and with companies. And I think that what one of the things that I love so much about partnering with Jose is you have the neuroscience and then you have the ability to tell a story about it. And when I say mm-hmm. a story, I don't mean a mystical story. I mean a story about agency goals, power in the 21st century and power being the ability to act, power being the ability to navigate a really complex, fast-moving world. And we always open our seminars, especially for young people, with a narrative about the future and what it would look like to have a skill set for the barriers and the barricades and the roadblocks and the the chaos that we're all about to head into in so many levels. And once we are able to tie breath awareness, breath control, breath training, and breath practice into something that they've said I care about, we do a a visualization exercise with the youngsters where they just lay down for a few minutes and visualize the version of their future that they're most excited to live into. And that may change a hundred times, but the point is that they often haven't taken a moment to do that, to ask, where am I going? And then we'll we'll share the following narrative narrative with them. We'll say, you know, everything we're about to share about breathing is just a tool in the toolbox to help you get there. Because most people don't get there. Getting there is hard. Reaching your goals is hard. And if it wasn't, everyone would be living the life that they want to. It's difficult. And you're going to run into so many challenges. And the one power tool that unites everyone that I know who's been able to walk that journey and reach their goals is their ability to manage their internal state in a chaotic external environment. They've got a tool. They've got a hammer. They have a skill. And that's the skill we want to share with you. And that changes the whole dynamic of the conversation. Now we're not just talking about how you should breathe. We're saying, hey, here's a power tool. Let me show you how to use it. And that gets so much more engagement out of out of these kids. I,
0: I think that's and great we that we bring this to, to the kids. You know, this is the next generation and, you know, they've got a lot on their plate. There's a lot of less than perfect things going on outside of us. And they're really going to have to strive for perfection in the eye of adversity. There's going to be a lot of distractions, a lot of, you know, extra weight on these, these kids. And, you know, teaching them what you're teaching them is a gift that they're going to carry throughout their journey. So, you know, congratulations, cause the kids, you know, the kids pick this stuff up right away too, in my I experience.
1: can't tell you how true that is. And I, you know, we're doing a lot of work right now to work to get breadth education into schools. And I think that there is, uh, of the many challenges he referenced, you know, the fact that we're facing a lot of challenges, right? I think that one of the most um, critical is the one that's the most subtle. And the most subversive. And that is our relationship with technology because it's complex. I'd like to see more research developing about how technology in general actually influences the brain and nervous system. And then you're going to get into the sort of psychosocial dynamics of how computer algorithms and very, very sophisticated advertising machines manipulate what we see on our screen. So when you look at the rates of youth mental health issues from 2009 to 2011, you see a hockey stick, this incredible jump, because we've gone from or they've gone from having most of their social experiences happen face to face to having most of them happen in this very, very cultivated advertising marketplace, which is the Internet and social media. So as, as as we think about the effect that that has on their general nervous system state, you have, one, the actual immersion into this sort of digital world, and then you have the psychological dynamics of having your your social approval rating, constantly flashing on a four by six inch screen through things like, you know, the, the platforms that we all use. So it's such a critical time to give them these tools. And to Jose's point, you can you can bring in the research and show them that this isn't mysticism. This will change your nervous system. This will, this will change the supercomputer in your skull. And that supercomputer, the more that you learn about it, that's going to be one powerful skill to hone at 15 16 17 18 heading into the to the wild west right now.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine learning this stuff from, you know in my teenage years. I you know, that's the one regret I have is that I, you know, I it didn't start till 35. same uh, okay. thing. But that's okay. you know, that's my journey and you know I love my journey. But uh it's just interesting, you know, like people have to find ways that are different in regard to how we create the boundaries about how we're going to talk to ourselves and then what we choose to put out in the public. And we have these computers and we're looking at this computer when actually the computer is looking at us. And it's it's deciding, you know, to some degree, what we're going to watch and what we're going to see and what's going to stimulate our senses based on what it's seen us looking at, over the last couple months. Well,
1: so, well Ed, it, Ed, Ed, I was just going to mention that, you know, one of the, one of the things to tie into that is right now, I believe it's 70%, or maybe it's a little higher than 70% of all YouTube views are based on the recommendation engine. 70%. Right. Imagine if the time that you, me and you grew up, that Jose grew up, that 70% of our next books were just kind of funneled by what we read last. You can easily fall into echo chambers, identity politics, or pretty, pretty interesting uh, portals. So, one of the things that we're doing um, at Physiology First is we built an online learning platform called Physiology First University. People can, kids all free for kids. They can access the work that Jose is doing. They can access um, our breathing classes. And they can do it in an atmosphere where there is no data mining, there are no advertisements. It's a place that they can go. It's sort of a, it's not a marketplace. It's something we actually built for them to, to get some of these life skills under their belt.
0: And you know, what's interesting when the computer is choosing for you based on your past, what was comfortable for you, it really only stimulates our subconscious. There's no neuroplasticity. There's no listening to a new song or a new rhythm or a new group. You're constantly replaying your past and setting in motion the physical brain to operate that way. And then every time there's something, an opportunity for something to learn, we're like, oh, I don't want to learn that. You know because I, I just want to stay in this little circle. and that's that that's no way to to live with a human awareness.
1: Uh, really, really well said. and we don't you don't see it because it's very, very subtle. I think it's very hard to reach young people through social media with information on neuroscience and all this stuff because the algorithms don't let it in. It isn't like the other things that they see. But yet there's this deep curiosity. And when we work with kids, we show them the work that Jose is doing. We take them through simple exercises. We'll have them we'll have them go through a workout and then lower their heart rate afterwards with purpose and agency and control. And then ask, well, where else could that be cool? Like right. a job interview, an investor pitch, speaking being public, a big game. And they go, oh, wow, I changed my physiology. I did it. I lived it. And now I, I left with the skill. A lot of that has to happen in person.
0: Oh, I just love this. I love this.
1: You know, Jose, is
0: there a a, a breathing exercise that, that you're working with right now with your clients that you could, that you would care to
2: share with our audience? Sure. So, you know, I um, we do like um, like uh, breathing biofeedback exercises. So we present uh, the breathing waveform in the screen, and uh, we uh, put uh, thresholds, like an upper threshold and a lower threshold. And then we ask the, the people to breathe, not crossing those thresholds. And also making the transitions between inhalation and exhalation very smooth. You know, I like it to call it like the Tai Chi of the breathing. And um, for people that, for example, has um, exaggerated uh, nea, you know, for people with uh, high anxiety and they cannot detect uh, for example any changes in co2 uh, rising levels uh, very soon they, they they want to inhale again you know and they feel breathlessness uh, a lot and be, very unpleasant um, sensations you know like imagine like if you are breathing 15 times per minute and every time that you breathe you feel like you are short of air you know that's really uh, really debilitating and um for example, this uh, 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 like biofeedback uh, exercise, you know, allows the the patients to see that uh, you don't have to take big inhalations and very, very sharp with very sharp transients. You can just take very smooth and slow inhalations and, and transition to the exhalation. So that is a very nice, I think it's a nice exercise. Then also like uh, I'm very fan of uh, the Breathing exercises that uh, they they wrote a they wrote a book about and um, like changing the numbers you know seconds that you inhale versus pause versus exhale versus pause again depending on whether you have um, you know you have very high sensitivity to these CO2 levels arising or the opposite whether you basically you know like uh, you are not feeling any changes in CO2 and uh, like basically like COVID patients. With the respiratory problems or some some cases of you know um, like lung, lung disease and um, and uh, I think um, you know like um, yeah for me like biofeedback is a very important tool and it's un- very underexploited you know basically because you need some gadget that shows you in real time the your breathing performance. But uh, I think that could be very useful. And um, also, like w- what I really like about Dave's approach is like, uh, you know, like, like basically putting your hands in your ribs and as you do different breathing exercises, you feel your ribs expanding laterally, you know, like the yoga yogi experts that breathe laterally and, um, you know, basically a combination between the muscles, intercostal muscles, that they send the feedback to your brain and then uh, the brain that sends the the feedback to the to the muscles and the interplay between those two is uh, what is going to be more effective in my in my view you know and um, in the the cases where this is still not effective uh, we can still resort to like brain stimulation, you know, You now, for example, there is these uh, devices like vagus nerve stimulation that are not invasive, you can put it in, in your ear and you can either stimulate your vagus nerve either in the inhalation or the exhalation, depending, you know, what you want to, which process you want to, to uh, enhance. And um, yeah, these kind of things, I'm much more fun about uh, compared to taking drugs. You know that basically suppress the respiratory drive, mm-hmm. and, um, and uh, can cause like uh, very serious effects if you have a very suppressed respiratory drive, and uh, you are not aware of your CO two levels. So
0: that's great. That's yeah. That's congratulations. You know we have a lot of you know there's a lot of science around breath and cognition. There's there's a lot of science around breath and the gut brain, and emotional intelligence. But there isn't really a lot of science out there on breath and controlling our moods. And and moods might be a combination of subconscious imprints of feeling with an accompanying narrative or cognition or story. Have you seen any research in regard to how breathing gives us the opportunity to control an uncomfortable mood from our past rather than that uncomfortable mood control us.
2: Is that a question for me or for Dave? It's for all of us.
1: It's it's such a good question, you know, because I think like you said in the beginning, it's and, and as Jose said, it's You don't walk in the same river twice, right? When we're working with somebody on a breathing exercise, all the things that you can't measure are their disposition towards the idea of a breathing exercise, what they're connecting it to in their mind, what narrative they're, you know, people think different things when they hear breathing exercises. One person thinks uh, pranayama and yoga. Somebody else thinks free diving. Somebody else thinks peak mental performance. Somebody else thinks that's woohoo and nonsense because we aren't taught in, I should say we aren't taught effectively, I don't believe, about our own nervous system. I think a thing that separates people that I meet in the world are people who recognize that they have a brain, a supercomputer, and a spinal cord. They have a nervous system interpreting sensation and and, um, their entire auditory experience, their visual experience, their mental experience, their beliefs, their personal stories. They're kind of aware that it's kind of encoded in this supercomputer that's plastic and that we can rewrite the code. And then there are people who don't because we aren't taught about our own physiology. And I think that that becomes um, maybe the most critical opportunity of our time is that as we're sending out this generation of young people into a world that will inevitably alter our physiology in in, in intangible, measurable ways. I'm very interested right now in a lot of the neuroscience about actual structural changes in the brain uh, in this sort of evolving technical landscape that we're living in. And then our base level physiology, we're talking about a system designed through evolutionary biology to react in certain ways when it's hyper-aroused. And we're watching a society that's more biased to being in positions that are of hyper-arousal. I always use the example when I when I present to young people so that they can navigate this language around mental health. Because the way that we're talking about mental health at it seems like we're talking about it in a sort of backwards way where mental health means mental illness right now. It's, it's a uh, mental health awareness month. It's may mental health awareness month started in 1949. We've had a long time to get aware and <laughs> it kind of seems like proactive advocacy and education is the next step in that, right? Like, like, like a, like a really critical thing. But when, when young people hear, um, When young people are talking about their nervous system, it's not a proactive conversation about the mind and improving the health of the mind. And it's not something that feels exciting and engaging and positive. It feels like we're talking about disorders or illnesses, which are still kind of archaic terms. It begs the question, what should the human nervous system do in 2021? If I'm living on small screens, if I'm not sleeping well, if I happen to not be exercising, if my nutrition happens to be micronutrient deficient, or if I happen to be really stimulated on things like tons of caffeine and like monster energy drinks, the way that the nervous system responds to stimulation is not a disorder, it's a survival mechanism. So the, the anecdote I usually give to young people to think about mental health and mental illness is I'll say, you know, if, if during this one hour presentation, I would have start banging back shots of espresso. At some point you're going to see a change in my state. I'm 13 espresso shots in here. I haven't developed a mental health disorder. That's what the nervous system is. It's a response responsive responsive survival sort of essence of ourselves. And when we watch anxiety rates skyrocket in hyperstimulating environments, we a need to ask is that a disorder or a very appropriate physiological response to a new environment? And then B, we have to ask what tangible tools can we give young people? And breath becomes that power tool that they can use anytime in real time to leverage the state.
0: So well said, so well said. Is there a, a specific exercise that you care to share with our audience that, that you've been using recently that you, you think might help some folks out there or some youngsters?
1: Yeah, I've got a short one for you, a real quick one. Well, we got
0: all the time in the world.
1: Well, you know, I, I like to again. I, what I like to do in the beginning, with especially with young folks, is just kind of challenge them to say, like, you know, why don't you close your mouth and leave it closed until you need to talk again? And then they're they recognize. I mean, I'm going to use me as the archetype here because I, I used to be a chain smoker, and I used to live with habitual back pain and constant breathlessness. So Mm -hmm. I've lived the other side of that physiology. Mm -hmm. And when you don't know that another state of being where you actually feel pretty awesome is possible, you just don't have the archetype. A a great mentor of mine shared an anecdote a while back, and I've I've applied it to everything because it's powerful for me. He was just making a joke, but it was was a powerful insight. I was like, you know what nobody should do? They shouldn't like write a book about foresight because you would need foresight to know that you needed the book. And if you had foresight, you wouldn't need the damn thing. And I was like, oh, well, crap, that's, everything. I didn't, when I was chain smoking, living in constant breathlessness and back pain, I didn't think, oh, if only I could optimize my mental and physical health. And I didn't know that it was possible. There was not a a lens. Interception is something that you can, you can sort of trampoline with certain tools, or you have to go through this process of sensation and perception and getting to be aware of your internal state. So when I think about what that felt like to live with, I, I, when you look at my actual skeletal archetype, right? I'm somebody who you're going to see probably biased to shifting their weight to the right and hanging out on the right leg, using their rib cage as kind of like a counter to set my arms on, Mm -hmm. super sway back position. Now add chain smoking to that and like a pretty unhealthy lifestyle and constant feelings of breathlessness. I remember what that felt like. So the reason I always kind of go back to this, if we can just clean up the base level dysfunction, get people breathing through their nose, they're going to see 80% of the benefit. But then from an actual tangible exercise perspective, I liked, I've i been playing around with this breath ladder. I wake up in the mornings and I practice this little ladder of a four-second inhale and a six-second exhale to a six-second in, to an eight-out, to an eight-in, to a 10-out. I'll usually take that into like an 18 and 20. And it's just a little sort of a self-read. It's a way to get my ribs moving. It's a way to get me into a position that's going to alleviate some of the compression on my low back. I'll use positions that are comfortable for me. And it's kind of a little, um, it's just a fun little test because on the days that I've slept poorly or that I feel like overall like allostatic like life load is higher, sometimes I'll see an inability to hit those higher levels. It's a change in my CO2 tolerance, an increase in sensitivity. And I'd rather learn that through a breathing exercise than through a watch or ring. But we fortunately have watches and rings too that can help guide the interceptive process, especially for young people because they have to have some kind of archetype. They can't be 40 years old at 16. They can't live four decades. They have a little bit of help um, in understanding. Like we have a lot of young people at the gym who they love seeing their heart rate when they work out. They're constantly looking at it and checking it. I think there's almost a criticism that they shouldn't need that technology. But God, they're 15, 16 years old being aware of their physiology. Eventually, they may not need it. They'll be able to basically say where their heart rate's at and take agency over it. It's so nice that there's a buffer to help them through that journey right now.
0: Well, first of all, David, I think that's an amazing technique in the morning. I think that's great to work that ladder where you're lengthening that exhale. I'm a big proponent of working on that exhale before noon to set in motion fat metabolism during the day because fat's an endurance fuel and we're all endurance athletes per se during the day. So the sun is already up. The moon is down. You look at the exhale as cooling and you start to lengthen that exhale in the morning. You bring up that parasympathetic response. You warm up that respiratory system first, the cardiovascular system second, and the neuromuscular neural systems third. I think you're well on the way of setting the table for peak mental performance during the
1: day. Really, really well said. And then, you know, to to Jose's point, he brought up sort sort of the vagal nerve stimulation, but just teaching kids a little bit about what the vagus nerve is and how things like exhale, emphasize breathing mm-hmm. actually influence organs and organ function. It's, it's probably taught in biology somewhere. But I don't meet adults who know it, so it wasn't learned. And it's through shows like yours and these opportunities, I think, that we create a, an opportunity to learn more about ourselves together. And that, that seems pretty important right now. Well,
0: the issue is it's not being taught in medical school the way it should be. That's the problem is primary care physicians aren't teaching their patients about the resiliency and the importance of the vagus nerve. And that's another subject for another day.
1: Well, it'd be fun. We we just were recently working with a group of dentists. And I actually have to catch up with Jose on some of this stuff, just because when you start to look at some of the issues in the jawline that they're noticing from consistent chronic mouth breathing. Now, a a group of dentists that we just worked with, we're doing some consulting with, they said the number one thing we tell new patients, the number one thing we help them with is to get them to utilize nasal breathing for the majority of their day. So that they don't run into these constant TMJ issues and different issues of the jaw. So it Huge. seems like it seems like the work is working, the work that you've been pioneering for so long, it's having an impact. It's getting into more practices, professions, and, and the, that's really the cool. dentistry
0: industry is way out in front on this stuff. And kudos to them. I, I see think it. they're doing right. an amazing job because they're way open to this. And it it makes all of us, uh, it makes it easier, uh, you know, for all of us. Absolutely. You know, when I'm, when I'm working with clients, there's, there's a few areas, nerves, that, that, I, that I want them to be aware of. And number one is, is the, early, the early cranial nerves, the ones that pull down into the face. And the more that we can relax our face again and again and again, the cranial nerves help the brain organize the moment before we make a choice and we can respond accordingly. Obviously, the 10th cranial nerve, the vagus nerve, which is just so important to adaptability, attention states, resiliency, fat metabolism, burning mucus, phlegm, and fat out of these uh, gastrointestinal organs. And the last is the phrenic nerve, the motor nerve for the diaphragm. And just bringing simple awareness to those three platforms is going to give us a relaxed energy that's sustainable as we move through our day in rhythm, which will naturally give us hopefully a more rich delta wave
2: night sleep. Does that
0: work for you, Dr. Herrera?
2: <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's very well um, put, and um, yeah, I. I, I I think it would be very interesting to run a study in terms of like a breathing rate and breathing amplitude and different um, frequencies in in different parts of the brain. You know, uh, I don't think there is one yet, you know, but but, um, you would imagine that somebody that goes through this type of uh, breath breath awareness, like it would have very different uh, neural excitability patterns. The thing is, one of the things that I have struggled since I joined the neurosurgery team is that um, doctors, you know, want quick results, you know, prescribe things, and and sometimes they are a bit reluctant to breathing exercises. They say, oh, just take one of these inspiratory training machines, blow a a bit, and uh, that's it. You know, that's going to relax you a bit, but they don't really quite believe on the power of the breathing exercises, you know, but like the more, the more and more research we do and the more you know practical applications we can find, I think it's gonna, it's gonna be so many evidences that it's gonna be impossible to negate. And um, this is what I, I've been trying to do and I've seen a, a shift over the, over the six years that I've been at the neurosurgery team I seen that uh, they are very interested now in, in breathing, are very interested in interoception. And this has extended to also the NIH, which, uh, you know, National Institute of Health, which has uh, launched a massive uh, funding opportunity for research in interoception. And I think, uh, you know, part of, of this is the, like the overwhelming evidence from, from you know, people like us that uh, keeps pushing.
0: Jeez, that... Well, at least you're going to have a lifetime of work. It's going to keep you busy all the way to the end of the line. So it's great to have you on board with this. And, you know, as I age, you know, as my boat drifts out the sea, sort to speak, it's nice to know that the field that I love so much is in such good hands with two young men like yourself who have a sensitivity for the bigger picture of life. Love that human connection. You really wanna help people understand themselves, their life, their, their value at, at such a rich level. So congratulations to you guys.
1: Well, Ed, thank you a million times over for having us on. This has been wonderful and we're just absolutely inspired by your work and all that you've brought to, the, to, to helping people learn about this power tool that they have within them. So thank you.
0: Well, we're all in this together and nobody gets left behind unless you wanna be left behind because we're moving forward and I just, I really want to connect later and, and do something just for endurance athletes.
1: And that would I, be a lot of fun. We work because, a lot, that was our initial inroad into this and it's spiraled into different um, elements of our mental and physical state. But we, that would be a really fun conversation.
0: Because we're all endurance athletes, whether we're triathlon or we're running or we're at work for 12 hours, We want to create the same physiology and psychological states because these are long, long, open programs of attention. And how can we continue to refine our attention as we work our way and make progressions deeper and deeper and deeper inside ourselves? So, you know, I'm a big, big proponent of breath control, and I think it's the master key for any time we're going to be in extended states of uh, attention where we're in a result-oriented platform.
1: Absolutely, I mean, when we built the Distance Project, initially it had a more simplistic meaning around endurance sports, but really quickly that, that meaning morphed into your point. We're endurance athletes in the sport of life, and we want to play the long game, and we want to feel awesome doing it.
0: And, and, if, if, and if life is a race, it's a race you want to come in last. And tools like this will really help you stall aging, Remain young with a lot of vitality, but have that equanimity, you know, when we need it. Know when to zip it when we need it. Become a great listener, good hugger, all the things that sometimes might be missing as we challenge ourselves in this 2021. I want to thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. I've learned so much in the last hour. You guys are really a great gift to the world, and I can't wait to connect with you again. And let's stay in touch.
1: Absolutely. And thank you so much for that.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys. Go be great. Bye bye. Oh, that was fun.